I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, A Global Perspective on the Success of Strip Till, is being brought to you by Topcon Agriculture. If this is your first time tuning in, you can subscribe to this series and get updates on future episodes currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you prefer another app for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll look to get it added. Thanks again to Topcon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and Topcon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX, boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. And I'd like to invite you to attend the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference coming up July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to Strip Till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Whenever I'm visiting with strip tillers, I'll ask them about the interest and in the practice among other farmers in their area. Often I'll discover that there are pockets of strip tillers in different states, with the caveat that although interest among neighbors can be high, transition is slow. Looking beyond the borders of North America, strip till is even more of a foreign practice, pun intended, but it is one which is seeing momentum in some parts of Europe. Brian Goggin spent 26 years with the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service, where he spent five years in the Southeast Balkan states, where he helped introduce and advance conservation tillage practices and soil health principles into the region. After retiring in 2015, Brian took the lead on a grant-funded project to further educate and implement strip-till practices onto large-scale farms in Bulgaria. There he leads a team of agronomists and agricultural engineers, teaching cover cropping techniques, equipment setups, and fertilizer placement practices on operations as large as 100,000 hectares, the equivalent of almost 250,000 acres. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Topcon Agriculture, Brian shares his experience heading up the Strip-Till Overseas Initiative to include some of the results challenges, and future opportunities. Just a little background here. I served 26 years at USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service and retired in 2015. Part of my uh, tour of duty at USDA was uh, five years as uh, uh, Southeast Balkans Regional Attaché from 01 to 06. And when I retired, I had some interest in returning to the region for different reasons. I found a, a foundation that was interested in, in funding some of my activities, the uh, America for Bulgaria Foundation. And I uh, received a $500,000 grant to you know, teach uh, soil health and strip tillage and you know, to farmers in northern Bulgaria. I used uh, Cornell University as my scientific advisor, Professor Harold Von Ess. My partners in this is uh, uh, Rusay University in Rusay, Bulgaria. It's an agricultural um, university in Rusay, just up on the south bank of the Danube. And 
we've been teaching it uh, mostly, you know, focus on soil health, but with uh, strip tillage uh, and cover crops, uh, you know, as an element of that. It's going pretty good. You know, uh, we've uh, had quite a few converts to strip tillage uh, and uh, there's quite a bit of, you might say, influential farmers that have, that have uh, taken it up. Yeah, I would say it's going pretty good. You know, like anything, some ups and downs, but uh, quite a bit of progress. So what's the what's kind of the the scope of of adoption over there? I mean, uh, obviously, you think about just here in North America, it's pockets of farmers, you know, that have yeah. turned a strip till, and there certainly seems to be you know increasing interest. But yeah, I guess I'm curious about what what kind of the the culture and the climate is like uh, over in that part right. of the world. It's really interesting. Uh, of course, you know, coming off a socialist heritage, I guess, in farming, and uh, there's a lot going on. I could go on and on here. <laughs> But why, uh, is, you know, the, the capital that we're working with is absolutely gigantic farms, you know, just huge farms that uh, kind of defy explanation and, and imagination, you know, uh, they're really huge. Uh, what, what kind of much size like, are, are we talking about over there? Because, you know, I've heard, you know, certainly some farmers that have been over that part of the world, but they describe, obviously, the, the size and scope of some of these operations. It's, it's interesting. It's, uh, I don't know, I guess a thousand hectares would be small, you know, and maybe 3,000 hectares would be Medium, you know, three to five thousand hectares would be a medium-sized farm, and then there's gigantic farms of uh, I don't know, seventy, eighty, and a hundred thousand hectares. Uh, it's you know, huge uh, farms that are are put together uh, through sometimes thousands of leases. You know, they they gifted back the the land uh, to owners from the pre-communist period. You know, from 1946 and before. Hmm. So uh, these were uneconomic units. So many of the people had no interest in farming the land. So um, they do have a deed, you know, and, and they were able to secure title. And that was a huge process. Went on like 15 years trying to secure title for everybody who had a claim to land. And the courts were stuffed with this stuff for years. They were able to uh, grant back the land and uh, develop, develop leases. So these farms that I'm describing, uh, they have bought some uh, of the land outright, but most of them are leasing land. A typical farm of these these large size farms might own a quarter to half, sometimes three quarters of the of the land, and then and then lease the rest. I, I would I would say it's more, you know, if you if you choose an average, uh, I would say more uh, more than half of the land that they farm is on a lease. So it's really an unusual environment. Uh, I guess the other thing that's happened, uh, when I served there, the farms were really uh, undercapitalized with, you know, ro- rolling junk. You know what I mean? They just looked, like, they looked awful, some of their tractors and implements, you know, in 01 to 05 when I was there. And, and uh, it was starting to turn. And then and then when they uh, received uh, full e- EU membership, uh, money started flowing in and, uh now they've got so much money, my God. Their equipment yards are beautiful, and uh, they don't have any trouble with capital. You know, we see. It's a little tighter now, of course, in the last three years, but they were flush with cash, and they bought a lot of equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the, the uh, opening up of the market to precision. Uh, you know, It's not widespread, but all these large farms – they have some element of, of precision, the telematics mostly to, to guide the tractors. And, you know, these farms are large, and, and, of course, families are involved, but they have to depend upon hard labor. 
it's almost as if they use their precision for, you might say, security purposes, you know, to keep an eye on folks. When the farmers sit down at their desk, there's always just an array of video being taken, you know. Uh, so there's a, a lot of hired hand management and, and some of the labor quality isn't, isn't too good. So uh, there's, there's widespread application of, of precision without a lot of experience and understanding of how it should work. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that. I was, it was curious, you know, because uh, you know, with the evolution and in, in just the equipment side of things, you know, how yeah. uh, rapidly uh, the technology side kind of caught up because, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, there, there's a lot, you know, certainly going on in that aspect. And you think about what's going on in North America, but I'm, yeah, I was curious, you know, and that's interesting right. you bring that up. So is it not so much more of the field application things, you know, whether you're talking about the, the variable rate or, you know, some yeah. of the sensing technology, is it, is it a little bit more of kind of just the, the machinery monitoring and, and fleet management right. aspects? Right now, it's mostly uh, fleet management, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and human resources management is how they apply the precision. They, they haven't, and, but the um, variable rate technologies are, are being uh, attempted, you know, by, by the more advanced farmers. You know, regarding shift till, it, it requires, honestly, at least in our experience, uh, you know, some some manner of GPS control. I mean, it, it's hard to do these. It's nearly impossible to get the strips right without without guidance, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and we tell them that, you know. We say, if, you know, and most of the people we work with are already committed in some fashion. The, the fields are quite large where we work. You know, they just go on and on. The crops in the Balkans are... Spring crops are, are uh, corn and canola and sunflower, and then wheat and barley in the fall, sun crops. You know. And, um, I, more, you know, we work nearly entirely with corn and sunflower. Hmm. We haven't really worked with anything else yet. Uh, we're encouraging farmers to, you know, no-till their wheat and barley and strip-till their sunflower and corn. And uh, I guess that's, the you know, part of the package that uh, we're, we're pitching and also we're, we're uh, we started doing some um, cover crops also hmm. uh, this last year and actually cover crops are there's some enthusiasm for that and we're, we're trying to capitalize on I guess what, one thing that's really good for us is that uh, maybe the, lar- the most influential farmer the largest farmer he did adopt strip till on most of his operations and uh, so farmers see it a lot you know and they're curious a lot about what this guy is using and how can I use it? Uh, you know, regarding the culture of farmers and what they're like, uh, so unusual. They, um, I don't know, it's, it's not like you would find in almost any other place. That most, well, quite a few of them don't necessarily have a farm background. Mm. They're not from farms. Some of them are from construction. There's some unusual money that's like... Uh, one of the largest landowners and farmers in the region is uh, from uh, pharmacology, you know, from from uh, medicine productions, you know, and that's how they made their money and decided that farming would be a good place to put some of it. You get some unusual, unusual people. That, that, um, and you know, the people ask me, is it, is it mobbed up? Is there some uh, is a mafia element in farming? And there, there certainly was. It's, it's it's not really a problem now, though. Not a serious problem anyway. Really different environment from the United States. I mean, you know, and regarding universities and institutions, uh, universities are really weak. Uh, you know, they they really don't have much money. They don't necessarily have a, a background in, in what we would call extension. You know, and working with farmers, 
in an ivory tower tower for a long time, and that was one of my objectives is to try to get them out of there, you know, and, and get them talking to farmers and working with farmers and getting their hands dirty, kind of thing. And that's really been successful. In fact, that's probably the best thing about our, our project. It's, it's got the university really engaged. That's a lot at <laughs> once, Jack. I don't know. I could go on and on here. No, but, no. Well, well, I think yeah. I, you mentioned, I mean, I guess, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of interested in, you, you mentioned yeah. obviously getting some momentum there, and, and it sounds like you've got one of the larger operators, uh, you know, in the area there that, that has really embraced strip till what elements uh-huh. of the practice or what are you seeing, you know, farmers, uh, you know, in Bulgaria, you know, uh, wanting to get out of strip till, you know, what are their primary objectives? What, what are the uh-huh. motivations that they're, they're turning to the practice? Well, you know, it's interesting that there's a, just a recent understanding about the compaction in the soil, the physical properties. That, that was the kind of the, revelation to us. I mean, it, it shouldn't, maybe it shouldn't have been, you know, uh, that, um, we, we, we got really, you know, really good yield response from our, our, our plots just on compaction alone. They, you can imagine years and years of bragging all this heavy equipment, uh, conventional equipment, uh, including mold, mold boards sometimes and, and just, and chisels just back and forth, back and forth years and years and years, you know? And, uh, so they had, uh, compaction and it wasn't unusual to see you know major runoff and and, and uh also uh you know big huge puddles out in the field and, um so initially they really liked it because it we our initial experiments we drove the um the strips really deep we did i guess we buried tried 25 to 30 to 35 centimeters deep into the ground and that really helped we we and then we paired it with uh you know thanks to uh, DuPont Pioneer, we, we we paired it with Aquamax, and we got really big yield gains, which made us look good. You know, that, that got got us off to a really good start. So that that's one thing they they've seen right away is that you know uh, at least initially they'll use strip tillage as as a element of you might say I don't know vertical tillage I guess. You know, mm-hmm. Both tractor pans, and um, so that that was very helpful to start off, uh, and then. The recent focus on, uh, you know, active carbon in the soils has been helpful. I, I think that's the other thing that we've really been trying to help them with. And um, unfortunately, our my partner in, in this, Dougie, Professor Mita, is kind of slow to take it up. Uh, but that's what we're really focusing on in the past year or two, is, is having the farmers uh, focus on uh, active carbon tests and, uh, you know, try to model their, their farm in such a, a fashion that they, they use um the active carbon as best they can. And then also with efficient nitrogen uh, application, you know, in a major capital purchase of the project was a, of an underferth ripper stripper, which we put a, a fertilizer hopper on, on top of it and uh, fertilizing at depth with, uh, you know, really was another thing that they really liked, you know, that rather than broadcasting, we'd focus that fertilizer at, at depth and um, that worked really well, you know? So our plots, have done excellent. You know, we've been getting a, a, a yield premium, you know, a good size compared to conventional plots. What, what type of, uh, so, of a, I guess, uh, an increase or, or uptick have you guys seen, you know, over, over some of the conventional methods? In, you know, that first year we were seeing 20 and 30% mm. premium to our, our, our technique. And, um, and then farmers independent of us, you know, uh, they would re- also reporting that, a better performance from 
uh, strip till than, than the conventional product. And uh, not only yield increases, but, you know, lower uh, fertilizer and fuel costs. So we've, we've come out looking good with our plots. And then, um, you know, DuPont Pioneer is very helpful, and they, they've done a few plots of their own, you know, in, kind of just with our encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing about this, you know, I've been doing this for about three years now, and, and we are running out of money. Um, we'll run out of money probably October, I think, October or November, or, or close to it. So we're we're appealing to the EU for uh, to continue uh, funding, and we're working with an organization called European Conservation Agricultural Federation. Uh, they have offices in Vora, Portugal, and Brussels. We have a, I think, a good chance to get some money from the EU based upon a proposal that they submitted, which included. You know, organizations like ours uh, in, I think, 11 different EU member states, you might say champions of, of conservation agriculture in various forms. I think we have a good chance to get some money. I, and the proposal looked looked really good. So I think we'll, we'll likely continue at least operation in some fashion. The new project, uh, the ECAF one, the uh, European Conservation Ag Federation proposal, will, will have us focus more on you might say describing the state of the art in conservation agriculture. You know, like a, they call it a you know a community of practice. You know, what is the community of practice in, in the country? So we'll we'll have more of a survey function than than a demonstration in the next round of funding for the project. At least that's my that's my understanding. And Gogi uh, Mita will without the project. You know, he's got some money of his own that'll permit him to continue doing doing some plots. You know. We'll get back to Brian's discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, Brian noted the differences in both technology adoption and objectives for Bulgarian farmers versus those here in North America. Specifically, the widespread adoption of telematic tools to monitor field operations. While there is use of GPS systems and variable rate methods, Brian said the primary precision objective for many farmers he works with is for security purposes. Recording data and video is almost standard operating procedure to ensure safety and quality standards on large-scale operations, Brian said. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Brian Goggins on the ongoing potential to increase global strip-till interest and adoption. Yeah. So when when you're talking about the next steps there, and I you know talk with with a lot of farmers and academics over here in, in North America about what they see as as kind of the future for strip till and and the adoption oh. opportunities there, and and you know what the next steps are. You know, thinking about it from more of a global perspective, and obviously you know in your experience uh, working over there in Bulgaria, what kind of future do you see? What where are the opportunities uh, for for kind of growing the 
the practice on a, on a more global nature. Is is there you know more opportunity than maybe we think about here uh, in, in you know our our part of the world? I, I think that there's going to be some continued uh, uh, adoption. You know, in 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 the Black Sea region, you know, within the EU, there, there's there's a fair amount of incentive uh, for them to consider, you know, different aspects of conservation agriculture. You know, they uh, common agricultural policy is, is, you know, they call it the greening of the cap. You know, tr- trying to make the cap green and not just about paying off farmers. You know, and then more or less, t- you know, this like our conservation programs, you. You have to uh, farm your land in a, in a certain way to be eligible for the payments. So there's a, there's built-in incentives from the from Brussels, you know, uh, and also the incentives, you know, to reduce costs, uh, especially you know fuel costs and, and um, fertilizer costs. This is something that that they're they're aware of, of, of course, you know. So in that regard, uh, you pair that with availability of, of precision you you see opportunities for for strip till and i um i do think it'll it'll continue to grow and you know we're off to a, a good start you know regarding soil health you know the professor van s and, and you know a lot of other people in the united states have, have you know this kind of broader approach to, to soil you know and it's not only about conservation it's it's other properties you know it's uh physical properties, the biological properties, and chemical properties, you try to look at the whole whole picture and come up with some strategy that optimizes this kind of, you know, soil health. It's kind of vague, but, but you know, you, you're trying to take everything into account and optimize rather than just focus on some narrow measures of, of you know, chemical properties like we have for so long. But that, that's taking off. You know, there's some there's some understanding that they need to do better. And then on, on the conservation side, you know, uh, when you see the fields in, in Bulgaria, especially uh, in northern Bulgaria, we, we we have a fair amount of sweat, miserable looking fields that that were you know really farmed badly for a long time, and um, it's like that, that that they're not aware of it, you know that it was farmed badly, you know they don't they not even they just take it for granted that the field looks that way and it can't be fixed, you know, you know to to suggest to them that they've been farming it. Wrong, you know, really badly for a long time. It's difficult for some of them to ex- accept, especially you know the older generation of guys. And um, but in, in Bulgaria, and this might be true of other regions, you know, in other countries in, in the Black Sea region. It, you know, there's there's new blood, so to speak, in farming, and they're they're willing to try different things. And uh, you know, that's one one reason why we were able to have influence in Bulgaria. It's just like a it's all manner of new people in farming. You know, and they're not necessarily young people. Some of them are, some of them aren't. You know, um, but they, there's this effort to give, you know, give it a shot, so to speak. You know, and um, so at least in Bulgaria, I see uh, good opportunities. In Romania, I, I work up in Romania a fair amount, and less of a chance there. It's stuck in, in some old, old-fashioned ways. You know, I, I just don't know enough about Ukraine and. Um, and Russia to you know to you know, have much to say you know I do know that there's there's strip tills or just you know there's active um, there's, I guess some activity related to uh, conservation agriculture both both no till and strip till in Ukraine and, and Russia as far as Western Europe you know the UK is the only country that's really uh, paid much attention to you know changing tillage practices. Um, 
just some spots here and there of, of innovation in, in Western Europe. I don't know, just a broad rambling summary, you know. I, <laughs> no, I, no. Uh, I should write some of these things down and have it make sense again. Yeah, no, it, I mean, that's, I appreciate kind of the uh, yeah. the description and, and kind of the summary of what you're doing. And, and obviously, uh, you know, it sounds like there is, you know, definitely a foundation that's being laid there. I mean, now, you know, with the work you've been doing over the past three years, it sounds like there there probably hadn't been a lot of exposure or explanation or education on, you know, kind of the conservation tillage uh, elements and, and strip till in particular uh, in right. the region that you're working. So this is kind of, you know, probably an introduction in, in a lot of cases to farmers, right. uh, whether they'd been, you know, farming for, uh, you know, generation or like you mentioned, you know, relatively new to the industry. Right. But, uh, yeah. you know, regardless, it, it sounds like it's it's been, you know, very much kind of an educational learning process. It sure has. I mean, uh, it's interesting. So our most recent event was our, our most successful. So we, me and Georgi and, and Harold, uh, we presented at the uh, Grain uh, Bulgarian Grain Farmers uh, Association uh, in, right after Thanksgiving. It was in uh, Klavia, Bulgaria. Georg and I were there in person, and then Harold von S. You know from Cornell. We did a Skype call with him. You know, a video Skype, and uh, I was I was just pleased that, that the thing worked. You know, <laughs> that we were able to pull a, you know a big video screen of, of Harold in his office in court at Cornell, you know, anyway, so we had a full house. I mean, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the coffee shop emptied out to come see us, you know, and I, I was really flattered by it, you know, and, and, uh, if we'd have had Q and a afterwards, I think we could have gone on for at least an hour, you know, as it was, we presented for about, about 40 minutes and, uh, it was quiet, quiet room. I mean, they were, they were paying attention, especially when Harold spoke, you know, <laughs> They really, they really like, you know, uh, hearing from an expert, you know, and and Harold Van Ness is, you know, one of the top guys, you know. There's there's a lot of focus, a lot of uh, curiosity, you know, and that that's, you know, flattering to to us that we we were at least able to pique their curiosity, have them come out in force to to, uh, you know, to listen to us, and then, uh, you know, I, I we immediately got calls for for consultancy, you know, come, please come see my, my outfit, you know, and maybe you can help me. And, mm-hmm. um, very flattering. So anyway, there's a, there's going to be some continued attempts at, at, at adoption. And, uh, I, I guess what's difficult about this and, and why we might get some, some failures, so to speak, is that they're, they're just not uh, as well informed as, um, as American farmers, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not as as informed as they they need to be. You know, they, you know, just strip till farm. Your magazine is just a good example. You know, they we can only do so much. You know, like um, there's just you know, the United States there's any number of resources that they can they can draw upon. Mm-hmm. You know, that there's a you know the uh, the equipment dealers are better informed. The the fertilizer guys are better informed. The seed guys are better. Um, the universities are all over it, and um, you know USDA is is you know, playing at least some supporting role. You know, so they don't have that. You know, they just mm-hmm. they don't have anyone to help them. You might say moderate all the mixed messages they get from from the equipment dealers and 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 the seed guys and the fertilizer guys. You know, they don't necessarily understand it all as well as American farmers do. 
and you know they can't necessarily put it all together in some coherent package that'll make it work. You know, so I, I guess I have some concerns. You know, if all this effort. There'll be some, you know, people buy some equipment, and um, I don't know. They'll they'll screw it up some way. You know, and uh, then they'll then they'll tell their friends, oh, it didn't work for me. You know, and, and it'll it'll spo- it'll snowball the other way. You know, it's kind of like a you know technology introduction or product introduction. You know, it's just like. You, you just hope people use it correctly and, and it takes off, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the weakness of, of adoption of technology there like this. I guess the good thing about it, I mean, they, they have money and they have land and, and there's just the inherent nature, you know, human creativity, you know, has been unleashed in the countryside, so to speak, after being suppressed for so long. So, you know, there's, there's tinkering, you know, you know, old fashioned American tinkerer in his, in his equipment yard with low torch, you know, they, they've got that, you know, it's just not as, you know, well-developed, but, but, uh, there's a lot of guys with toolbars trying different things, you know, mm-hmm. you know, it'll, <laughs> I guess it'll work out one way or the other, you know what I mean? And, and we, we, we had, you know, I'm glad we had some influence on, on adoption of, of, you know, technologies that focus on conservation. thank you, Brian, for sharing your experience and efforts to expanding strip-till overseas. Again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. And I'd like to again invite you to join us at the 5th Annual National Strip-Tillage Conference July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The 2018 event will feature a mix of general sessions, classrooms, and roundtable discussions on topics and trends specific to Strip-Till. Look for speaker announcements and conference updates at striptillconference.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on April 6th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series and a reminder that you can still register to receive our Strip-Till Farmer print publication at striptillfarmer.com. For Brian Goggin, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.